Tell you what, it's, uh, it's great to have some eyes looking back at me instead of that one little camera sitting up there for the last few weeks. That's a little bit of a challenge, but it is a, it's a blessing too at the same time that we're able still to go ahead and continue having our services even if we're not able to gather together here. Holy Ghost keeps us together, doesn't he? So the unity is still there. Weapons of mass destruction. Our weapon of mass destruction, part three. We'll continue on the same vein we've been on for well, uh, several weeks now. Today we're going to talk about a man that uh, many of us are familiar with in, in the God's Word, but perhaps not at the level of what we're going to talk about today because we look at him as his name pops up. We know that he was a champion. He was a hero. We don't know anything really about his background. We certainly don't know a lot about what happens from in, as we're going into the future as we superficially read through the Word. But when we begin to get in and, and dig out the name of the Hebrew or the meaning of the Hebrew words related to these men and women in God's word, we begin to get a picture of what God is, how his character manifests in someone's life, the synergy that takes place when we're faithful to do what God's called us to do. And we become the weapon of mass destruction that the enemy cannot deal with. The basis on this deals with the blessings of Abraham that came forth that were in direct opposition to Nimrod and his, his effect in, on the children of Shem who were followers of God and beginning to steal men from God and, and the season in the past. This is a review that we've already gone over. And God puts Abraham, calls him to separate, they come out from among them. And he gives them a seven-point blessing. Three of those uh, aspects are blessings coming on him that God puts on him. Even as we got into the word Barak last week, remember? And we talked about Barak being the, the, not just bowing the knee down, but there's six meanings to it, where the first three deal with the download of God's blessings on us, where in turn we could go out and then become the blessing to other people, literally taking the Word, taking the presence of God worldwide. That's what this is about in this season. Everybody needs to be aware, we need to get into a place now in our minds, ah, off of sitting on the comfortable seat at home, the recliner. Because this season right now that we're in, this is not going to be the time for that at all. In fact, now it's time for us to begin to put on the helmet of salvation and the rest of the armor. We're going to have to fight. We're not going to have a choice. In this season, we need to go ahead and understand there's a spirit of fear that's been poured out on this nation. The enemy's trying to come in. These giants are looking bigger than they've ever looked. They don't look like we have a chance or choice that we can't overcome them. But I'm going to tell you this. There's more for us than there are against us. Amen? That should be an amen from everybody on that because that's the truth. The spirit of fear has got to go. I've got to deal with it personally. We need to get, uh, uh, go ahead and determine in our heart that we're going to walk in a place of being inspired by what this Word says of what God is going to do and who I am in that power and that authority and that synergistic relationship I have with Him that I walk out and I walk with no fear when I realize that He is going to be doing what He said He's going to do. And then walking in a place of faith and understanding as I, I take the blessings out that those are received in faith. We all have abilities. Owen, you have special talents. Joshua, you've got them too. Every one of us has very special talents. Brian, it's time for me to make the decision. Okay. No more playing around. I'm going to take these goods that you put in me 
And I'm going to invest these in the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to do what you call me to do with what you've given me to work with. Every one of us has a special place, a special function in the body of Christ. We are a team ministry. We are the body, right? A body doesn't function too well without the feet to stand on. We need to use our gifts and talents, our abilities to change the world and make it better. And that's going to happen because of my beliefs and my talents and going out and sowing the way that I've been called to sow in this season. Amen? Make any, any sense here? Okay, and, and uh, review here. Well, let's do this first. I've, I'm full of, of the Word today. I want to get it out so bad. But I'm going to back, I'm going to take a deep breath right here. I'm going to slow it down because I know that this, this is important that we get this in our spirits today. Amen? So, first thing here, let's look in, uh, in Hebrews chapter 11 and go to verse 33 and 34 because I feel like this is very timely. We think about faith as being now is, you know, it's current, it's always in the perpetual current now state. When I said now a minute ago, where was that? Was that in the present or was that in the past? Past, it was then. When I just said now, just then, and say, talking about that back there, when was that? It was in the past, right? Now is. Faith now is. Faith now is. Now is. The blessings have to be talked and walked and carried out. Now is. Always. That's how it works with God's Word. So when we take faith and we begin to understand the evidence of it, the substance of it, and apply it, this is how powerful this weapon of mass destruction is when we believe God that He has sent those blessings and put them on us. Look at this list right here. This is from faith, guys. This is not sissy stuff. This is not laying it and claiming it, that black-on-black -black Cadillac, but that's okay. Come on, God. Amen? Now, what this is in verse 33, who through faith subdued kingdoms. Did y'all hear that? Men and women of faith subdued kingdoms with their faith. They walked it out, but faith was there. They wrought righteousness. They obtained promises. They stopped the mouths of lions. They quenched the violence of fire. We've got some fires around right now, don't we? But through faith, those fires can be quenched. Do I believe that? Is my God big enough to quench the fires in California right now? The fires that are being set out in the rural places by Antifa and other places? Whether they're in towns or whatever? Sure. That's how powerful our God is. He's more than big enough than the giants. I don't care if it's uh, any of the sons of Anak. It doesn't matter. He's big enough to defeat every giant. No bitty ruddy head kid goes out and cuts off Goliath's head and he didn't even have a knife when he went out there. He said, I'm going to cut your head off, man. Was that faith or what? That was big time faith, wasn't it? But you know something? The faith David walked in and believed in the, he believed in the same God that you and I believe in. His ability to do that was null. But when he connected up with God, anything is possible. Anything. The breakthrough comes. Out of weakness were made strong. They waxed valiant in the fight. They turned to flight the armies of the aliens. We have armies trying to attack us in this country right now. As a Marxist agenda is flowing forth and trying to put terror in us. Everybody listen. Marx said this, that terror is the midwife 
of the revolution coming forth. I reword that just a little bit, but that's what it says, or he said. What he meant by that was, we're going to come in and we're going to try to put terror on the people. And by that terror, people are going to, the good people, the majority, are going to sit on the sideline. They're going to be in too much fear to get out there and do what they need to do to stop us, and we're going to take over the nation. I'm, on, I'm here to tell you, spirit of fear is what we're talking about, does not have authority and power over the name of Jesus. 99% of defeating the enemy in any situation is to understand the wiles and his weaponry that he uses. Then I understand, okay, I can bind that up. And the other 10% is just walking it out. I find that out to be in my life, to be true. And I've seen powerful men of God who, who mastered that. And they faced mountains and the mountains would fall into the sea on a consistent basis. Here are the, uh, the lessons we're going to learn as we get in this, and this may take a couple of sessions that we'll see. Uh, number one, to receive the blessing here that we're going to be getting into and to be able to walk in this victory that we're talking about for such a time as this. Number one lesson here is to receive the heart for God, I must follow Him fully. That means to be faithful. To receive the, heart, the blessing is really what this is talking about. I must have a heart for God. I must have a heart for God. And follow him fully to be faithful. By the way, if you're in discipleship, you need to have your notebook out and you need to be already scribbling this down, okay? So there's, there are seven points to this, seven lessons we'll be learning as we study this, this word. Number two, do not value the opinions of others. Do not value the opinions of others. Now there is a place, this is the disclaimer, certainly there's safety and counsel. But if I go around and ask everybody in this, this room right now how we should handle this situation of going out in the streets, and there's probably 225 people, maybe not that many in here right now, maybe 175 perhaps. And I ask you, how many opinions do you think that I would get by uh, asking that question to 175 people? Probably about 175 different opinions. Okay? Whose opinion has the most weight in my life if I'm walking and I've been blessed and I'm going out to give the blessings to other people, it's going to be the opinion of hearing the voice of God, having that confirmed, having that peace that comes in. I've gone out, I've grabbed a hold of it, I've seen it. God's spoken it to me. Then I begin to meditate on it and get it in my mind. And I begin to think through, okay, is this really God? Does it line up with His Word? Then you go to your counsel, whoever that might be, your pastor or an elder, and they should be speaking into this in agreement. Then you go ahead and you're, you embrace it. You get your passion in there. You've got to have passion to walk out the vision God's given you. If you don't, that's where the fire is. You're going to lose along the way when the giants raise their head up. You're not going to be able to faithfully enter into it. You've got to go ahead and embrace it. And then you begin to what? You confess it with your mouth. That's in Hebrews 11.13. We talked about that last week as well. So now here we go. So do not value the opinions of others above your own, His promises and what you're feeling God's speaking to you. Number three, be willing to not follow the crowd. You follow the crowd, you're going the wrong direction. Most people are not willing to pay the price. They're not willing to be obedient to what God's calling them to do. Be willing to not follow the crowd. So number one, to receive the blessing, you must have a heart for God and follow Him fully. Number two, do not value the opinions of others. Number three, be willing to not follow the crowd. Number four, 
Obstacles are meant to be attacked. Obstacles are meant to be attacked. Obstacles are not to stop us. We're the children of the living God. They're put there for us to attack them, to go under, around, over. The mountain will fall in the sea. The valleys will come up. It doesn't matter what it is. Goliath's head is my bread. Amen? You know what the Word says? And the bread of the children. Number five. This requires me to be resilient. In other words, I'm not going to waver. I'm going to have stamina. I'm going to keep pushing right on in. It requires me to have courage. To have courage. What is courage? That is being, being in, in a, the mindset and the emotional set that I feel the fear. I feel the fear. But it doesn't matter because I'm going to step up in the face of that fear and, and I'm going to deal with that. I'm going to push through. It doesn't matter. I'm going to trust what God's Word says. I'm going to keep pushing in regardless of the, where the fear is speaking to me, where it's coming from. I'm going to keep going until I get to the breakthrough. And when I get on the other side of it, I look back and say, man, that was all he had? That was it? And I get on that other side, and what that's going to do, it's going to pump me up. Remember the, the uh, where are you, Casey? I'm going to level up. I'm going to level up. Y'all remember that on Friday night? I'm going to level up. Playing a, a computer game, you level up, you get more strength, you get more of the, uh, the weaponry, you get more of the goods. Because every time I face fear with courage and push through, I level up to another level and the power and the strength of God becomes me, in me more of a reality at a different level each time. It's, we don't serve a wimp, guys. This is the King of kings and lords of lords. He created everything. The commitment is the other thing here on number five. Requires resilience, courage, and commitment. Number six, don't major on the giants. Major on your strengths and, and His promises. Don't major on the giants. You major on strengths and promises. And that's what you, how you go in and deal with it. That's what you do. That's how you walk through this. Why do it, we, we sit for hours watching on TV on all the news talking about how bad everything is and how these giants are just so insurmountable out there when we could go in and put some of this time or a lot of the time in this and find out, really, they were destroyed more, in more cases than one different stories here in this Bible. Major league obstacles were overcome by God's people. Don't major on the giants, major on your strengths and promises. And number seven, when we go in and we conquer the mountain, let's go take these things, and this is not a formula, this is a biblical pattern that's there. You see this over and over in God's Word. A, you're going to have to have a word. In conquering the mountain, you need a word. Number two, you're going to have to have a work ethic. Well, God said He was going to do this. Yeah, He did. What we end up doing, guys, this is the bottom line. We pray like everything depends on God. Then I get off my seat and I stand up and I go to work like everything depends on me. When we do that, the two come together and there's a synergy and it goes way beyond whatever I can do myself. That's how it works. That's how it works. So we have to have a work ethic. Number one was a word, a work ethic. The third, or C here, would be excellence. When I go out and do something, I'm not just going halfway, half-heartedly do it. I put everything I have into that. And I work hard with that work ethic based upon that word. I mentioned prayer already. That would be D. 
These are not in any one order here. This may be bouncing around different ways, but it all comes down that this is the essence of walking as a conqueror. So word, work, work ethic, excellence, prayer, vision. What am I seeing? Where are my eyes staying? Has God given me something that, he's, that I see, that I hear, that I've walked in in a dream, a vision? Is this something that the prophetic has come forth and spoken of in my life? Maybe when I was a kid, and I've been putting off listening to that word, which was right in line with the prophecy a little while ago. I've got time later on to get saved, man. Doesn't matter, I'm, I'm still young. I'm going to tell you that the time right now for you to do that, you're a fool. You're a fool. We have fires in cities. We have the West Coast is burning up right now, even as I speak. We have uh, literally Marxist armies that are on the streets in some of our cities right now. And that's what they are. Let's call it what, like it is. They do not like Christians. They, want to, they will kill you if they take over. You know, I mean, I'm not trying to scare anybody. I'm just telling you the facts. If you don't know the history, Google is your friend and go back and see how many Mayo killed and how many Stalin killed when they took over China and Russia. How many people like us they put in prison camps, reintroduction, indoctrination camps. That's the reality of what we're in right now. But I'm going to tell you this, they're not going to win. Why do I say that? Because I know what my God has shown me. You see, I've, I've been given a download over the years. I see things in generations coming in my family where God has shown me as, as a patriarch in my family of the different generations that are out there and men and women of God rising up in, in, uh, in different areas of society. I've got, we've got a word that the, the glory on this church and the second temple is going to be greater than it was on the first temple. Y'all remember that word? Multiple people came in and spoke that. How many other prophetic words has God spoken over us as a body, a people of destiny that we are? And, and uh, those words have yet to come to pass. We've got a lot to do yet, guys. It's not over with right now. That's how I know who the, where the victory is and where the, where the winners are going to be. Amen? Because I've got the vision and I'm holding on to that. Dedication will be our last aspect of this. That means sell yourself out. Let's go. Let's run with this. Let's get this thing done. All right, so let's go on further here. We know the seven blessings. We talked about those before. We talked about being uh, persuaded on this. But one thing we need to look at today, this thing is multi-generational. When God begins to speak the blessings on a group of people, He gives you a mission in life. What God tells you will never be accomplished in your lifetime. That's why we have the second generation, why we have your kids and our children's children's children. They'll take up where we leave off and we'll pass that baton on over to them. It's only fitting that I've got three of my grandkids here today. Uh, if y'all don't know them, these are the, uh, this is the baseline for the most beautiful grandchildren in the world. I love your grandkids, by the way. But uh, yeah, God has blessed me. Amen. I'm glad y'all are here with me today. Amen. They don't get their papa preach too much with them being from uh, down in Darien, but every now and then down in that area too. But it's important that we understand this thing is not just my generation, but it's going to be carried in the future. Verse 8, chapter 11. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, which was the promised land. See, the, the part of the blessings given to him in Genesis 12 well, it was the promised land for him to go into. He obeyed. He went for or went out not knowing whether he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in the tabernacles 
with his, two, with his son and his grandson, Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. All right, so we've got three generations that are showing up right here, right now. Go to verse 21. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph, that would have been Ephraim and Manasseh, and worshiped. Okay, so he blessed them. He was a worshiper, and he leaned upon the top of the staff. He leaned upon the top of the staff. Everybody look up here and listen. This is important. We've got to get a hold of this. The staff, as we know, in the Hebrew, is directly related to the word walk or walking. It gives a picture of the, the type of life that we live as we carry whatever lifestyle we're carrying with us, either out of the word or out of the bestial nature, the flesh. In this case, this is talking about a man or a woman of God who walks as a nomad as they go out in the wilderness on their journey and they have a staff in their hand that they lean on. Now, am I leaning on my own understanding? Am I leaning on the, the wickedness of my forefathers? Or am I leaning on the word that my grandmother spoke over me or the prayers of my great-grandmother who was a Pentecostal preacher? Or am I taking the words that my mom and dad spoke to me or the pastors or that my coach sold into me over the course of the years of things of God? Those are all imprinted on the staff. And here's the picture of this. The staff in multicultural worldwide had a crest a lot of times on there of a family of that person that owned that staff. This was a staff of the speaker, of the main person, the herald in the, in the family. And there was a picture of when there was something that needed to really be in, uh, really emphasized of taking that staff and, and they'd say it and they'd hit the ground. There was a picture of that that's in here too. But also, it's like the totems. And I've seen a totem pole and I thought that was witchcraft based, but it's not. When we were up in Victoria, Canada, what, a, a couple of years ago. Those totem poles actually give the, the, the family or the clan's heritage of great kings that were there, those, those, uh, those different uh, seasons in that culture and the exploits of those particular kings. In this case, we're talking about Jacob leaning on a staff that's got the promises of Abraham that are engraved on this thing. Also, the promises of Isaac are in there. The promises that go all the way back to creation and Shem when he comes forth and the, the men and women of God that live for, uh, for God after the flood. That's what was in that, on that staff. That's what he was leaning on. Okay? I'm going to be prophesying this now into this next generation, which were 12 sons. What the promises were that go back to the generations. And notice something here as we go back to verse 20. I skipped that one on purpose. By faith, Isaac blessed who? Who? Everybody say who? Okay. Jacob? We knew that, right? But what about that renegade, Esau? Did he get blessed and totally cut off the blessings in the generations to come of the blessings of Abraham? Yes or no? I've always thought of him a man that sold his birthright for a bowl of soup. I mean, I mean, this guy's bad news. He didn't have a heart for God. If you go over into Romans chapter 9, it talks about that uh, God loved Jacob, but he hated Esau. 
That means God was mean God, right? If you go in and you look at God's uh, the, the the Greek meaning there and the connotation in the Greek, that means He loved Him less. That's also a Hebrew mindset, a Jewish mindset. He didn't hate anybody. God does not hate anybody. He hates sin, but He does not hate any of us. He loves us, and He loved Esau. He still does to this day. He loves Esau. So what does this mean here? Okay, we have two men that receive a blessing here. And we know the story. Jacob goes in. He steals the birthright. He steals the blessing. But you go back into... To, uh, let me get over here in my notes. In Genesis chapter 27. Chapter 27. And by the way, just not long before this happens here, what we're about to get into, Abraham had died. He had bought a little piece of land that was uh, in the promised land where there was a cave and he buried Sarah. When he died, that's the place that he was buried. So remember when God taught, called Abraham out years ago, he gave him the vision. He told him all the things about the, what was coming. He stepped out in a place and he began to sojourn there. He took possession of the land and just have to have, happened to have some Canaanites that happened to live in his land. So that was okay with him. But he took a certain amount of money and he bought an area where a cave was and he buried his wife there. And when he died, that's all he saw in his generation. That was the fulfillment of the land that he was able to possess. So he missed God. Yes or no? He didn't miss God. That was just, a, you can't despise small beginnings. So now we'll roll back into that. That's important, by the way. We'll get back into that in just a minute. But here's, here are the blessings that, that uh, Isaac speaks over on this. I'm sorry. Is that right? Esau and Jacob is spoken over them. Jacob's blessing. Verse 27 and verse 27 of uh, uh, 27, 27 is what it is in Genesis. And he came near and kissed him and he smelled the smell of his raiment and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. Therefore God give thee of the dew of heaven the fairness of the earth and plenty of corn and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brethren and let thy mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be every one that curses you and blessed be he that blesses you. So that's part of the Abrahamic uh, blessing. Then you go over to 28 verse 3 and he continues blessing him. And God Almighty bless you, make you fruitful and multiply. Does that sound familiar? That thou mayest be a multitude of people. And give you the blessing of Abraham to you, to thy seed with thee, that thou mayest inherit the land wherein there art a stranger, which God gave to Abraham. So Esau didn't totally lose out here. We don't think about this, but you go back to 27, verse 38. And Esau comes to his dad after the birthright and after the blessing has been uh, taken from him. See, we're talking about primogenitorship here. We're talking about the one that's going to step into the next generation it's going to take on the mantle to minister to everybody else. And they're blessed with the finances and the goods to do it. In this case, there's still a blessing here. Verse 38, Esau said to his father, Have you not but one blessing, God? Bless me, even also, on my father. And he lifted up his voice and wept. And Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, thy dwelling shall be the darkness or the fatness of the earth and of the dew of the heaven from above. And by the sword shalt thou live and shall serve thy brother. 
And, and it shall come to pass when thou shalt have the dominion that thou shalt break his yoke from off your neck, which actually did happen years later uh, when that dominion factor came in uh, with the nations that actually came forth from a very powerful leader. That was Esau, as it, as it turned out later down the line. So we don't hear anything else about his progeny and the blessings from here, right or wrong? Y'all already know the answer on that one, right? We do. We do. You see, there's a scripture that says that Esau is Edom. Edom was a group of people. It was like a tribe that was founded that came forth out of his loins. And so that was peopled over a period of time. And there were multiple little clans and tribes that were a part of Edom that were there. This is highly important because what we're about to see is you had two main champions that came out with Moses. There were three million people that arise when Moses comes on the scene and, and 400 years later or 250 years later or four generations later, depending on which ver version you believe on that between Abraham and the, the Exodus coming forth. Three million come out. They're not all Jews. You read it. Go back in Exodus and read it. It was a mixed company is the way it reads in God's Word. That meant there were multiple different types of, of tribes and uh, people from Brazil, people from uh, Nicaragua were there. People from Beulah were there. Gulfport, Mississippi were there. Derek, I just thought about that. I'm sorry. we got a visitor over here, Derek Hall. Y'all give him a good hand right now. It's good to have you with us today, Derek. So you had some people in that Exodus group coming out. Amen? Amen. Probably from Auburn, too. Maybe even Tuscaloosa. It was a mixed group of people. That was the point here. So they come out. They begin to travel around. The promises of, and the blessings of Abraham now are manifesting to the fullest because they were coming out of bondage. They were supposed to go into the promised land. When they get there, what happens? Moses sends out 12 spies to go and spy out the land. There was a confederacy. There was a rebellion. There was a coup. The deep state were active. They had plans to overthrow the president of the nation. They begin to, to talk to each other. They plan it. You go through and read the story here, the storyline. They were given specific directions. You go in that land, you walk along the ridge of mountains that go south to north, you hide yourself, you go in in stealth, and what I want you to do, I want you to check the land, you're, you're going in to, to do like a uh, surveyor. I want you to, to see what lands are really fruitful, how powerful the people are in that area. Uh, bring back some of the fruits. Let's just look at it because it's harvest time. And come back and we're going to go ahead at that point and make a determination on our strategy and how we're going to go in and what we're going to concentrate on. He never asked them to come back and give them an opinion and a vote about whether to go in that nation and take it or not. That wasn't even the equation because God had already promised that to them. Now we know Joshua, that he, he was raised up as the armor bearer at the side of Moses. He was presented as O'Shea in God's word when they sent out the, the 12 spies. That was his name. And then Moses changes his name as he names him to the successor that he was to lead the people in. So the goods were already on him to go in as one of those 10, or 12 spies. And he was going to be faithful because he knew what God had called him to do. The other one 
was a man named Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. The son of Jephunneh. That means somebody that turns away. Turns away. In other words, he was given this name because he turned away from the report of the ten unfaithful spies who came back and said, man, they're giants in the land. They, we're like grasshoppers in their eyes. You see, in the background, they've already planned, we're going to overthrow Moses. We're going to go back because we missed the cucumbers and the leeks back in Egypt. We had it good back there. You know, They forget about all the slavery and everything along that line. They didn't like the way that uh, Moses, he was a little rough with the way he spoke. His personality maybe wasn't real smooth. Whatever it is, one excuse is as good as another when rebellion is coming and cooking in the camp. And it grieved Caleb what happened. Now also, there was another aspect to this on the directions that Joshua gave them. He said, go to the mountain. Go to the mountain. Go to the mountain. We miss this sometimes when we read over this story. He's telling them to go to the mountain when he gets they're going to land. What mountain was this he was telling them to go to? Because this is important. What mountain was he telling them to go to? Actually, this was close to a village in that area, which probably we all would recognize. That's the, the, uh, the town of Hebron. That's where this was. Tell them to go in that area. And all of them were supposed to go, and they're supposed to collect the fruit again and bring that back. Now here's what the Jewish historians teach. While he was in that land, he went specifically to that mountain like he was given instructions to do. When he got there, he began to pray and to cry out. Because you see in Hebron, in that area, that's where the tomb of Abraham is. That's where the actual possession of the land actually was. He walked on that place of his ancestors. Remember? Wait a minute, we had not made the connection here yet, have we? Caleb, Esau, are they connected? Joshua chapter 14, I believe is where it is. Let's look at this before we go any further because we need to get this down. I want you all to see this. That scripture that I gave you on Joshua, pull that up. Fourteen verse six. Joshua fourteen six. Then the children of Judah came unto Joshua and Gilgal, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite. Everybody say Kenizzite. Ken That's a little bit different in it. Kenite is another word for that. This was a tribe that was embedded within the, the nation of Edom. This was a group of people. Kenez actually was the founder of that particular tribe. That was Esau's grandson. I want you all to see this because some of us have had grandparents or parents have spoken over us over the course of the years. Some of us have had even people in generations the past that have spoken over individuals in the family of what's coming. And we've had generations that have been unfaithful. And now all of a sudden, four generations later, you've got a man standing before you preaching the gospel today with the two generations between him and where the blessings were spoken were unfaithful with it. That's how this works. Who has that kind of background? Who has those that have been speaking it over you? And how many of us have been struggling and running around doing the things up in different ways? Because you see, that's who the Kenites were. They were in the lineage of Esau, but Esau had the blessing on him still of Abraham. 
That never disappeared because that was multi-generational. He was spoken with that blessing when Isaac spoke over the, uh, Jacob and Jacob spoke over the sons. And it was there. Ephraim is the tribe of, uh, of where Joshua came from. And now we've got here a place where a man named Caleb, who just happened to be in the uh, um, tribe of, of the Kenites, somewhere or other, he ended up down in Egypt and came out with them when Moses led the, the whole multitude of people out. You see how this is working? Where this is going? A man we've looked at called Esau all these years, we thought he gave up the birthright, and it was over with. But you see there was a man named Caleb that rises up who's a champion. He fully is following God. He's not listening to the ten other spies with Joshua being on his side. The other ten were just, they had a, a, another agenda that was wrong. He knew what the promises were. He had it in, the, in his genes when he stepped on that land and he was there where Abraham was buried. The Holy Ghost, I can just envision it, came on him and said, this is mine. This is mine. We've got to get a passion for what God wants to give us and what He's done in our lives. It's no longer Mickey Mouse. Let's go to church on Sunday. We'll sit in the pew. We'll skip through life. It's better days, man. I'm blessed. Hallelujah. Just name it and claim it. Let's just go on. We've got some battles to fight. In this battle in this season now, you need to be ready. I'm not talking about just hitting your knees to pray. Our lives are at stake right now. You may have to pick up other weapons as we go. But we're going to deal with this. I'm not calling people to arms. I'm not doing that. But you may have to protect your wife and your family, guys. We may have to do that. Let's just get real here. Caleb was willing to do whatever it took. But on the other side, he knew what was coming because he claimed it when he was praying on that, that little piece of land. The little, just the, you can't despise the small beginnings. Can't despise the small beginnings. See, there are mantles out there that coming up, are coming on people now for such a time as this, but that's something else. Caleb means a dog. Literally, it means an attack dog. Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, means turned away. It means from the sinful action of the, the ten spies. He also was the father of Tekoa, which means a man who's fastened his heart to God. We talked already a lot about different things here, but the Kenites, they, they treated the Israelites well when they came into the promised land. Uh, Jesus, or the Jews teach that actually the Kenites, they taught Jethro. Y'all remember him? He was a Kenite. That was Moses' father-in-law. He actually, according to what the Jews teach, actually taught Moses that there's only one God. Wow. So these people actually were pretty close to God. In fact, they were more advanced in the arts and were blessed with prosperity more so than the children of Israel were. What does that mean? a sign of? Yeah, that they were living for God. They were God-fearers. They were Shem people from the, the lineage of Shem as far as their influence coming on them. They were also a tribe of smiths, which means they were uh, ones that would make swords or plowshares. Apparently, some of the Kenites went with the Egypt or went into Egypt. We know that. We've already talked about that, so... Let's go ahead and let's get back in the flow here. So that place called Hebron is where they went. That's the burial place of, uh, of uh, where Abraham is. I'm trying to get back in the flow here. 
Let's do this. Let's get home for them. All right, so they build 40 years. They're unfaithful. The spies talk everybody out of it. Fear comes on the land. The terrorists are active. They're doing what they had set out to do. The blessings were right in front of them. All they had to do was just, I mean, it was in sight. They could have gone in. But they listened to the murmuring. The accuser of the brethren takes them out of it. So now they got to go out in the wilderness and they run around for 40 years. God says, I'm going to kill everybody. Everybody's dying. They're not going in there. Uh, at the point where there's entering in. He refused to let, let them go in there after that report and then believing it. Except for two people. And who are those two people? Joshua and Caleb, right? Now that generation. Everybody 20 years and younger, uh, they could go on in. Anybody over 20 couldn't. It had been 40 years. So any of the generation that came out of that 3 million people, they were dead except for those two men to enter in. Some of them just died right on the west side, I'm sorry, east side of the Jordan. They were inside of it. But they didn't get to go in. They go in, they begin to fight. Now Caleb knows what he had claimed all those years before. He was faithful to go in to serve and to help everybody else get to the place of their inheritance. And there's a point where it comes in time where he sits down as they're getting into to a real rough area called Hebron where there, uh, the giants are there in that land. And he took, looks at Joshua and said, you remember many years ago when we, we came in here, that's a land right there that I claimed. I want it. I want that. I want the hard place. I want the hard place. I don't mind that the three giants that are there, I don't mind that. That's where I'm supposed to be. You see, it's in my, my DNA. That's supposed to be where I'm supposed to be. That's... That's the inheritance. That's the blessing God told me that was supposed to be for me. That's the calling of God's life on, my, on me that I know is there. That's, those are the people that God's called me to go and to lay my hands on and see them raised from the dead. Those are the people that are sick that are, are going to be healed when I go in and speak come, uh, wholeness and healing over them. Those are the people that don't know Jesus. When I walk in the room, they're going to get down on their knees before God and say, Man, the holiness on you just convicts me. It convicts me. And then I lead them to Jesus. That's the blessing. That's how this thing, how I become a blessing to the nations. That's how this plays out. So Joshua looks at him and says, okay, I'll give that to you. That's your, that's your portion. So he goes in and he begins to go to war there and to, to go after that area. And it gets to be hard. I want you to listen because this is important. Because this man, who should never have been part of the blessings in our thinking, who was part of Esau's lineage, is absorbed now into the tribe of Judah, by the way. That's what eventually happens. And now he's there as a worshiper. That's what Judah means. He's a worshiper of God. In spite of Esau and what he did. Now he's one of two men that are entering in out of that generation. And the rest of them are not there. He goes up. They go to battle. It gets real rough. He can't do it himself. He's 85 years old. And he's still just as strong as he was at 40. You gray hairs, that should be encouraging for us, right? There should be more than one or two amens in here on that. So he, he looks around and says, okay, guys. Whoever goes in and takes that city, I will give you my daughter, yeah, that's the hot one here. 
I will give my daughter to be the bride to that man that's the champion and, and, and uh, will walk at the place. We won't allow fear to keep them from stepping in. I will give my daughter as a bride. A man named Othniel rises up to the occasion. Just happens to be his nephew. He steps up to the plate and he goes in. And, uh, you know, we know what happens later on. There's a pattern that's been set up here. And this is the way God does things. How big of a blessing was this man who was in the lineage of Esau? Well, he goes in. He takes Hebron and that whole area. Hebron becomes, before all said and done, it becomes a sanctuary city where the Levites live and became a blessing to everybody in that land with all the connotations related to that. Caleb gets all the land around it. His daughter marries Othniel, who becomes the first judge to rise up in the, in, uh, later on and blesses Israel. Y'all read the story on this. It's all in the Word. Isn't that big time? This was out of the lineage of somebody who we thought was written off. But the blessing is that powerful. Regardless of the generations ahead of you, don't let that stop you. Certainly don't let that hinder you. Guys, we can make all kinds of excuses, but if God's going to use him, he's going to use me. That gives me, I mean, I'm, that's encouraging. It's encouraging. Does this make any sense? Hebron, by the way, became David's capital later on. It also set up a pattern of a, a biblical pattern where it seemed like David was facing a giant, just like Othniel was. Othniel had three of them. He ends up marrying the king's daughter, and we know the rest of the story on that. Again, through the faithfulness of this man called Caleb. Again, to receive the blessing, I must have a heart for God and follow him fully. That's what Caleb did. Do not value the opinions and words of others. Be willing to not follow the crowd. Obstacles, three giants, fortified cities, whatever it is, and Tifa, Marxism, whatever, are meant to be attacked, not to stop us. This requires me to be resilient, have courage, and walk with commitment. I am not going to major on the giants. I don't, I don't know how powerful they really are. It doesn't really matter. I know how powerful... God is, and I know what He's put in me. And I have the testimony of victories past that I can stand on where I know that no man can take away from me how powerful my God is. I know those. And then to conquer this, I've got to pray. I've got to get the Word. I've got to have a work ethic. Walk in excellence. Have a vision. Dedication. All these are traits of this man called Caleb that he walked in, you see. This is part of receiving the blessing it's part, now look, y'all listen, this is part of me being a part of the weapon of mass destruction. Because when I begin to walk in these things, the love of God is, is a part of this. There's nothing in the enemy's arsenal that can stop us. We need to understand that. Have y'all ever heard that we have the goods? We have the goods. Everybody say, I have the goods. Have the goods. Amen, because you do. And we need to confess that. Not fear. I've got the goods because God's grace is on me. And His provision is here. All right, worship team, y'all come on back up here.
And let's, uh, let's pick up where wherever Holy Ghost wants to take us from here. Mm. I don't know if this was good for y'all guys, but this has been so encouraging getting into this and just seeing what God did. Regardless of past generations, it doesn't matter what they did. What matters is God's love supersedes all the junk out there. Supersedes my mistakes. Doesn't matter. He loves me. He loves me. He wants me to come in that fellowship with him.